Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We bring in now the new University of Memphis head uh, basketball coach, Penny Hardaway. And uh, Penny, I'm curious about this. When you were playing at Memphis, did you ever believe or want to be the next head basketball coach at Memphis? Are you stunned that this ended up happening? Well, I never thought about it when I was playing here. It never crossed my mind. But probably about two years ago when Josh Fastner uh, left to go to Georgia Tech, I started thinking, you know, maybe it's a possibility that, possibility that I could be the coach at the University of Memphis one day. What does it mean to you? It means a lot, man, because uh, it's come full circle to be able to play, uh, be born and raised in Memphis, to be able to play at the university, and then to be able to coach here. Uh, it's, it's really a dream come true. For people who are listening out there nationwide who may know the idea that basketball is big in Memphis but may not be as familiar with it, what makes basketball so important to Memphis, and what does it mean to you to be from the city, now be in charge of the uh, the university's basketball program there, why does Memphis love basketball so much? Man, it's just, I don't know, it's just been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, basketball is the number one sport here in, in, in our city, and uh, the University of Memphis is the heartbeat of the town. And it just happened that way probably for the, back in the day with the, night, the, the 70s team that went to the uh, NCAA championship against UCLA with Coach Finch and Ronnie Robinson and those guys playing against Bill Walsh. And I think that's when the city fell in love with the team, and it just hadn't stopped from that point on. And it, it, it means so much to me because I was born and raised in, into that, you know, Memphis basketball, bleed blue, uh, you know, we loved the Tigers uh, era when I was coming up. We had a team with Keith Lee, Andre Turner, Vince Nash, you all those guys uh, that kind of uh, made everyone fall in love with the, with the university all over again. So 
when you're from here, you understand the magnitude of being a coach at the University of Memphis. When you uh, were recruited, you grew up in Memphis. You could have gone anywhere in the country. Where did you think about going, and why did you decide to stay at home? Well, um, I thought about Arkansas, and I thought about Georgia Tech because, you know, the possibility of playing with Kenny Anderson at Georgia Tech was big for me, and then the possibility of, of, of uniting with Todd Day, Lee Mayberry, and uh, Oliver Miller in Arkansas, I felt was great as well. But, you know, just the love for the city and for the University of Memphis just kind of overtook me, and I ended up I stayed at home. You also had some trials and tribulations when you were a player at Memphis. If I remember correctly, you got shot uh, in, in the foot, and it jeopardized your basketball career. What do you remember about that story and that incident, and what happened? Well, um, we had just finished playing basketball. It was kind of like in the fall before season started. And I was a Prop 48. I wasn't playing that year. Uh, all sitting out that year anyway. And we played ball. Went to uh, my aunt's house to to um, to grab something for my aunt. And then some kids were just driving by, joyriding. We didn't pay attention to the car. Got out of the car to walk in. And then they asked us for some directions to some to a place that we know that they were really trying to go to. It was kind of an unusual conversation, and they jumped out of the cars with guns, and they robbed us at gunpoint, and when they drove off about maybe 30, 40 yards away from us, they started shooting back at us, and uh, I dove on the ground, and when I dove on the ground, one of the bullets ricocheted off the ground and uh, hit me in the foot. What did that feel like? It was, I I just couldn't believe that I, I got shot. I had never, you know, encountered a situation like that, and to be shot in my foot, uh, when I first went to the hospital and, and the doctor saw where the bullet lodged and, and where it had landed, they thought that I wasn't going to be able to play basketball. And there were so many things that rushed through my mind uh, at that at that point in time, but it was it was just a crazy feeling at that time. It's a wild story, and I don't think a lot of people remember it, but what did it, was it insanely painful when you got hit? I mean, did you realize you know that it you had been shot? Painful. What did it feel it like? Cause I think through, yeah. It went in through the side of my foot. And then it, it, it broke all of my toes and then lodged right in between the web of my first, my big toe and, and the second toe, and it just stayed right there. And uh, I just felt the pain when I tried to walk afterwards, but it wasn't like it was excruciating. It was like a sting more so than a, than a lot of pain. And they told you that you might not be able to play basketball again in the hospital when you went to go get looked at? Did, uh, did what? I mean, that moment had to be crushing. You're 19 years old. Like you said, you're a Prop 48 waiting to play. Uh, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I bet almost your life flashes before your eyes at that point because you're defining yourself at that time pretty much as a basketball player, right? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, it happened so fast. So many things were going through my mind. You know, what am I going to do now? Basketball is really all that I know. Um, I hope this is not the end. I hope they, you know, something changes. And I just started praying, and uh, eventually it did change. So you go on to Memphis. You're a star. Um, and you go into the NBA, and you play with Shaquille O'Neal, and a lot of people listening to me right now, we're talking to Penny Hardaway, new University of Memphis basketball coach, remember all those years watching you play against Michael Jordan when he came back. Uh, I I know you probably grew up watching Michael Jordan play a little bit. What did it feel like to be in that series playing against Jordan when he comes back as number 45? I mean, it would be even crazier now in a social media era to have Jordan leave and come back like he did. But even back then, it was a wild story, and you guys beat them. What do you remember about that series? Well, um, I remember that he was very rusty. You know, he wasn't the same Michael Jordan because uh, he still could play. Don't get me wrong. He still did 
pretty well, but he wasn't at the level that he was the following year. But I remember just the buzz around the, the, the league when he first came back. I think one of his first games was against Indiana. I think he hit 45 against Indiana. And uh, we knew we were the best team in the East. And we were like, okay, we had to see this guy in the playoffs. And uh, I was ready for it. I, I was ready to, uh, to take on the challenge and play against him and, uh, and, uh, and compete against him. Shaquille O'Neal, I remember when he entered the league, was a force of nature. Um, you know, coming out of LSU, everybody was obsessed with Shaquille entering the league. What do you remember about him as a rookie? Has there been anybody in the NBA since that is anything like Shaquille O'Neal in terms of his physical body size, athleticism, and what he could do close to the rim? Oh, absolutely not. His his rookie year, man, he went through the league by storm, tearing down baskets, uh, breaking backboards, um, just so dominant as a rookie. Uh, he put his imprint on the on the league immediately, uh, first year All Star, and I have not ever seen anyone like him since. I haven't. You guys also starred in a movie that a lot of people are talking about. I saw LeBron James talk about how he went back and watched it. The NCAA kind of a little bit under siege. You were in a movie, Blue Chips, with Shaquille O'Neal about taking over kind of a college basketball team and leading it to success. Was your recruitment? as a kid coming out of a school in Memphis, anything like that movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> those guys had it those guys had it going on in that movie, man. <laughs> they were dictating things all over the place, but no, my recruitment was not so being recruited hard, yes, but all the other stuff that went along with the recruiting in that movie, no, my my recruitment at least I can say my recruiting wasn't like that. How much fun was making that movie? It was so much fun because it allowed us to be natural. Uh and uh working with uh the actors that were in the movie, Ed O'Neill and uh, Alfred Woodard, who was my mother in the movie, and, and working with Ed Neal and, and Nick Nolte, those, that, that was like a dream come true. Huge fans of, uh, of all those actors. How often do kids now talk to you about the movie? Because a lot of the kids that you're talking to now may not remember your basketball career, and we're talking to, to Anthony Penny Hardaway, the new head coach of the University of Memphis. But those movies sometimes can remain... Uh, as fresh as the day they were released, I'm sure you hear a lot from kids who have sat back and watched that movie at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they start showing the basketball movies during March Madness. So right around this time, they'll start showing Hoosiers and Blue Chips and all these movies. So the kids always come in. Of course, I saw the movie last night. I was watching the movie last night. So usually in March, that's when the kids really start saying, hey, Coach, I watched the movie. I love the movie. What was your favorite year of playing basketball in your life? Uh, all the way back from being a kid, all the way up through the NBA and everything else, is there one year you remember thinking, God, this is the best year of my life as a basketball player? You know, I really enjoyed 92-93, the year that we went to the Elite Eight. That magical run that we had uh, was unbelievable, man. You can't beat college basketball. Even, you know, and secondly, after that would be the, the run that we did going to the finals in 94-95. Um but going to the NCAA tournament, making the tournament, beating three really good teams in one game from the Final Four was probably my most fun time that I had as a basketball player. You're going to be the head coach now. How much skepticism have you seen about going from high school where you won three straight championships at uh, at your high school in Memphis to college? Is it in the city of Memphis? Is it mostly positive feedback? Do you? I mean, no yeah, matter what happens, positive. there's some negativity associated too. But what, what kind of feedback are you getting? Uh, you know, I'm getting more positive than negative. There are a few people that are saying he has no experience um, in the in the, uh, in college, and uh, it's going it's, it's yet to be seen what he's going to do. But I'm very confident in myself. You're going to have critics and everything that you do, but it's majority 
over 90% that are really just in my corner and saying that we're happy for you to be the coach at the University of Memphis. How well do you think you'll be able to recruit? I think I'll be able to recruit really well. I'll resonate with the kids. I understand being out on the AAU circuit for eight, going on nine years, uh, that I was able to build relationships with kids and their parents. And and um, a lot of the kids' parents still love my game. I love my game when I played. My sneaker, all the kids on the circuit love my sneakers. So I think that I'll be able to recruit quite well. Uh, what about the University of Memphis? Can you Can Memphis win a national championship even though they're not in – quote-unquote, a Big Five conference. How good of a job is Memphis? Memphis' job is great. I think Coach Connor Perry showed that. And if I could scratch the surface or even walk in his shoes and you keep close to the things that he accomplished here at Memphis, then we'll be okay. But I feel like I can get the talent in here to win a national championship for sure. Uh, have you talked to Tubby Smith at all since you were officially named the new head coach? No, I have not. I have not spoken to Coach Smith at all. Do you have any kind of relationship with him? Uh, I know he was there two years. You're replacing him, or uh, have you talked to Josh Pastner or John Calipari? Anybody that was at Memphis before him, either? Uh, I have not built a relationship with Coach Smith. We didn't build one while he was here. I have so much respect for him. He's a Hall of Fame coach, great coach. Uh, we definitely, we definitely didn't uh, build a relationship. Coach Calipari and I text on the night that I uh, had my press conference. He told me congratulations and that he was proud of me and anything, anything that I needed to let him know. And then Josh has been texting me. Like, he texted me three or four times about different things, but congratulating me as well. We're talking to Penny Hardaway, the new head coach at Memphis. So what's the first thing you do now? Uh, the season is over uh, You know, for all but 16 teams who are playing, uh, obviously, in the Sweet 16 and beyond right now. But the, the recruiting business never stops. You finish, uh, get announced yesterday uh, on Wednesday, and then you're now running it's Friday. What are you doing right now uh, as you now are the official head, uh, head coach at Memphis? Well, now that I've legally passed the test to be able to recruit, I'm calling the kids that are uh, unsigned, 2018 kids that are still undecided on what they want to do, uh, and I'm trying to convince them that uh, Memphis is the place for them. I have to go to Atlanta tomorrow uh, for that region of the NCAA uh, Sweet 16 and uh, and see some kids and, uh, and and watch some good basketball and start dreaming and putting our, our team in that situation for next year. Is it more stressful to be a coach or to be a player? It's more stressful to be a coach. What, what's because the difference? as a player, I could do something about it. I could get out on the court and, and handle business. All we can do is prepare put them in the right situation, and they have to go out there and produce. So when you think about your career playing in all those years, uh, and now you are uh, now you are the coach, um, are when you think about that, a lot of times guys who are really talented as players, and you were an incredibly talented player, don't necessarily translate as well as coaches, right? I mean, it's a lot of times it's right. the scrappers and the grinders. What do you think you learned as a player, despite being really talented, that is going to translate well as a coach? Uh, I learned patience. And I feel like I have a gift from God to see and uh to see things, you know, before they happen. That's how I played the game. And uh I feel like I have that gift. Uh basketball is something that I feel like I was born to do. And my game translates into coaching. And I, I do agree with you with some coaches, some guys that played at the highest level and that were great in basketball, they just can't coach. I don't know why I can't. I just know I I have been successful at doing it. And uh when I'm out on the court I'm at peace with everything that's going on and my mind is always working, so I'm, I'm confident that I can do I can do a great job. We're talking to Penny Hardaway. Uh, last question for you. Everybody out there listening to us across the entire nation, all 50 states, 
they may or may not be that familiar with Memphis basketball. What would you tell them you want Memphis basketball under Penny Hardaway to look like? Well, I want, I want, uh, I would say to them that Memphis basketball on the offensive end is going to be running and, and gunning it, throwing lobs, dunking, uh, you know, having fun. On the defensive end, we're going to get out to people. It's going to, it's going to be all out fast paced defense, uh, trapping, uh, rotating, uh, being tough, taking charges. We're going to have a tough defensive team. And one of the teams that I respect that I do, I love their press is West Virginia. So you see West Virginia play defense. That's where I want it. That's the level I want to have my team. Well, they have had a lot of success in this tournament and many more before. Penny Hardaway, appreciate the time early this morning on Friday. Good luck to you, and uh, we'll be watching. Oh, thank you so much. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb joins us now at Gottlieb Show. You'll be able to hear him later today. I think he's sitting in for Colin Cowherd. Hopefully he's going to be able to survive the 405 this time without a uh, busted-up tire. Uh, Doug Gottlieb with us now. If I'm a Kentucky fan, yep. how upset should I be about the game plan, how my team looked in that loss to Kansas State? Uh, I wouldn't be crazy upset. I actually thought Cal did a really good job with the team. They, they ran – you know, one of my big frustrations is having friends that coach in the NBA and a couple that still play in the NBA – is a lot of these college coaches haven't evolved in terms of what they're running and how they're utilizing spacing and three-point line. You watch John Calipari, this team actually ran good offense by the end of the year. He slowly implemented more and more kind of NBA-style offense. Um, I think here's kind of the thing that he's run into. Yes, he's recruiting off the top of the deck, and, and you know you, you miss on kids. I don't think their big guys are particularly good. I kind of think these some of the guys they get though because they uh, um, are are brought in to believe they're one and done. They're not great in a street fight, and at the end of a game against a team that's playing, you know, that's not playing Dean Wade and didn't have Xavier Snead. I mean, really, the last when they made a run in the last eight minutes of the game was because Kansas State was without two of their three best players. Um, you should win that game. But Kansas State just a little bit better in a street fight. You got guys that have been told no more, and I think that's a big reason they lost. You know, Quade Green taking a terrible shot, a hero ball shot when they need a bucket. PJ Washington can't make a free throw, and you know Hami Diallo, you know, just gets blown by 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 uh, by Barry Brown. I mean, these are I don't think those are coaching things. So I think most I think Kentucky fans are. Super huge Kentucky fans, but I also think a lot of them are really good basketball fans, and they know this was not a great team. And to get a Sweet 16 and an SEC tournament title out of it, that's pretty good. That you know they had had two players offensively you really like, and to ride them to a Sweet 16. Are you disappointed you lost to K State who didn't have Dean Wade? Sure, Uh, but I also think there's a reality to a Sweet 16 ends up being a good season after an SEC tournament title. Who is going to win between Loyola of Chicago and uh, certainly uh, what has turned into an, an unbelievable Kansas, Kansas State win as well? Like, who's going to win that game in your mind? Uh, you know, I, I, I think Kansas State will. I do, just because, you know, the, what Loyola of Chicago is doing, you know, they're playing small, and, you know, the Custer kid is an Iowa State transfer, is good, he's getting in the lane. I if that's the strength of what I, uh, of what Loyola Chicago does at the end of a shot clock, I think 
Kansas State matches up really well. They have several good on-ball defenders at the point guard position. But this loyal story is crazy. I mean, I mean, really, really amazing. Um, you know, there's there's different levels to college basketball play. There's there's everybody says everything mid major than high major. That's not really accurate. There's low major, mid major, high major, then they're like super high major, right? Loyola was a was a below average low major team. They go into the Missouri Valley Conference, which is a which is a high level mid major conference, and you know it takes them five years, but now they win the league and win the league tournament. And you know, they have good players, but it's not like they have guys you're like, oh well they could you know, they have guys that had to transfer down a level. But they play beautiful basketball and Porter Mosier really has the ball moving. It's kind of what, what college basketball has become, you know, it's about age and skill and spacing more so than about upside and potential. Do you buy into the idea that whoever wins the right side of the bracket and we've got Duke, we've got you uh we've got uh, certainly Villanova West Virginia, there's a lot of still pretty good teams on that side of the bracket. That yeah. whoever wins that side of the bracket is should be, uh, maybe unless it's Michigan, a prohibitive favorite over whoever wins the left side of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, even Michigan. Like, like Michigan was beaten by Houston. The game, yeah. that game was over. The game was over. And, um, you know, that last night was, I know they blew out Texas A&M. Um, and it, it did look like Kevin Sumlin's defense against against, uh, <laughs> against, against John Beeline's offense. Yeah, but but and that was that was more that was just a horrible matchup for him. And again, the skill of Michigan, but Michigan does not have great personnel. I mean, you, had, you watch him try on the court. And you're like, I mean, like Charles Matthews is averaging 15 a game. He averaged what a point and a half a game for Kentucky last year. I mean, it's that is a, a Beeline masterpiece. But yes, Nova. If it's Nova, Duke. Um, or Kansas, yeah. I mean, like, look, TBS has got to be sitting there with their rosary beads, hoping it's not West Virginia. And uh, who plays Kansas? I'm, gonna, I'm trying to think who even plays Kansas tonight. Oh, I can't remember. Um, I'll have to pull up the, the hope, matchups. I mean, this is ex- – you're right. Like, the worst possible like, look, this, final this, four. The final, the final four is on TBS. It's not on network. So, as, as we all know who cover, cover sports, once it, if it's on cable, it's going to hurt your ratings. It's on TBS, which is not a non-traditional – you know, sports network, it's going to hurt your rating. I think and here's the worst have... Here's the worst possible Final Four you could get if you are yeah. Turner and CBS. Yeah. But obviously, like you said, it's on cable. You could have Texas Tech against yeah. Clemson on one yeah. side of the bracket, which would be like, yeah. oh, my God. And then yeah. on the other side of the bracket, you could have Loyola of Chicago against Florida State. And that yeah. would be the worst possible, I think, probably Final Four you could draw. Yeah, maybe actually I mean, can't. You know what? Kansas State might be worse than Loyola of Chicago because at least Loyola of Chicago has a rooting interest. Kansas State against Florida State, Clemson against Texas Tech is oh my god, an abject oh, it's, it's failure. Awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, like, look. At least if Loyola gets there, all the Gryffindor fans can can get yes. super excited. Uh, you're wrong about Beetle, by the way. You really? I wrong. think you think she's worth five million dollars a year. Well, I mean, I mean, who who of us are really worth what we're paid? I, I uh, well, first of all, yeah, I can say this: like Cowherd is worth ten million dollars a year. You look at the number of people who listen to his show on a regular basis. I think he's worth ten million dollars a year. I think Skip, you know, people like oh, Skip Bayless sucks. Like he's no like Skip. Skip Bayless does two and a half hours a day, and people care what he says, and he's tripled the audience that existed in that FS1 time slot. 
I think Stephen A. Smith, even though people may say, you know, like, oh, I hate Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith is worth whatever he makes and more, right? I mean, I think there are a finite number of well, people. But, but, but you're, you're looking at it. You're looking at it through a different, for, through a prism that's different than the reality of, of Beatle. First of all, I agree with you on Carissa. Carissa and Beatle are the two most talented women I've ever worked with. I work with some really talented women. Um, Beatle is super, super talented. Um, a little bit of what she's getting paid is because she remember she's also doing the NBA. Yes. So so but she's my thing is doing, huh? my thing is always who else is bidding, right? And by and large, I used as an example, I was like Kirk Cousins, right? Yeah. Kirk Cousins is going to make twenty eight yes, million. Yes, 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 and no. You, but that's that's not one. Like you don't think if we we would hire her? Of course we would. Hire I think her. I I don't think I mean this I mean this honestly. I don't think that Fox Sports would pay more than a million dollars a year right now for Michelle Beadle. Well, okay, and and she's done some entertainment television as well, and she's she's quite good. But but again, you're again you're looking at the wrong prism. Um, the way it works there is, you know, whatever she came back to ESPN was probably at the rate that she was making at NBC. She was back, you know, she had the sports station thing, then then she used that and got the uh, the NBA thing, and the NBA thing is not just ESPN, but that's also ABC, and that's the NBA finals, and that's huge, and. You know, you can say she's not worth it because of the open market, but anybody you get to do that job is going to be making into the six figures. And then, you know, she was in L.A. You have to move her. That's additional cost. Um, and she's there's there's also there's just not that many to this point, not just women. I, I think there are women that are that talented, but you have to be a woman that's that talented that's created uh, a kind of cachet. And See, otherwise you're creating think- something out of, out of dust. And and so I think when you bundle it all, and and this is your argument, in any time you make a contract, hey, you got to pay me to get up in the morning. You totally, know, you totally to under, morning. totally understand that. But you know, I can make a living if I don't do this radio show, and it would be a good living. I don't know that Michelle Beadle could make a great living if she were not employed at ESPN. I think she could make an okay living. I mean, I'm not saying a million dollars a year is bad, but I'm saying there's a big difference between five times her salary and what she would get elsewhere. And that, to me, is the, the the most intriguing thing. I'm not saying she's not well, worth the a million dollars. The other thing is you don't really have a control group. You don't know what any of these other women or any of these other hosts are making. And I think if you look around, and, and the thing about that, the, the risky part about that show is those people are all making, that's what network morning TV makes. And you're on cable. And so that's great for those people. Hey, that they're going good for them, good for all of us. Everybody gets paid. I'm with you. Um but they're they're paying it at a rate commensurate with what you make on ABC and on CBS and on NBC, not traditionally what you made on sports cable. Um, so I guess that would drive up. You know, if I'm a, I'm a, if I'm you know you know Nick Wright and and Chris Carter and uh, you know I go I go marching. Hell, if I'm Jalen Rose, I go marching. In. Yeah, the but, thing is, I think all those other guys you just mentioned, nobody cares about their opinions. So I don't think, and I think Beetle has demonstrated when she went to NBC that she didn't carry an audience with her. So I don't no, think there's anybody I, I, that's going to tune know, in I, I, on her yeah, show. I, I honestly, dude, I've, I've done a show. I had a show on CBS Sports Network no, but that that nobody watched. It was actually pretty good. It was out with Allie LaForce. It was awesome. And, I mean, I, you know, when, network, when, it's, when, when a show is not des- designed to win, did you stop in and check it out? Did I stop in and check out what? The Beatles show? Beatles show. Yeah, I did actually check it out. It was bad. Yeah, it wasn't good. 
Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't well, a good show. I mean, I can't speak hey, to your show hey, because, listen, frankly, I, mean, I didn't have I didn't have CBS Sports Network until like a year ago on my comp, I and I tried to get everything. I mean, it was just like that show that network was not very well distributed. By the way, I think Weber was phenomenal last night. Tell me why I'm wrong. I'm not going to comment on on somebody <laughs> else's a college basketball analyst. You know, I, I I think it's really hard to I look. Brian Anderson's awesome, and I think he paints a really good picture and. You know, C. Webb is a polarizing figure. You know, I, I here's the great thing about Chris Webber doing the games. It's not just that we think of the travel. And then in the second game, you know, uh, I think it was Barry Brown dies on the floor and calls a timeout. You're thinking of Chris Webber calling a timeout as well. Yes. Um, here's the here's kind of the, the – this will make my point. All, all the points about any of these guys are like, oh, college basketball players don't get anything. Like, can you name one moment that you remember about Chris Webber as an NBA player? The only, it's a good question. The only thing I remember is game six, the Tim Donahue fix job, right? Yeah, but the you don't even remember. It's not remembering Chris Weber. Actually, game yeah, seven. It's just the, I, the, the, thing about, the thing about that series is, is game seven, Peja Stojakovic had a wide open three in the corner to win the game and shot an air ball. That's actually, but again, that's not Chris Weber, who was a great, not a good, he was a great player. But there is not a single memorable moment from his decade long or decade plus long NBA career. Uh, on the other hand, I can think of like 10 memorable moments from his college career. You know, they made college basketball cool. They made the baggy shorts cool. Like, yeah, the Fab Five, yeah, Michigan benefited, but nobody benefited more from it than the fact that Jalen Rose and the fact, the reason those both those guys are on TV is not what they did in the pros. The reason they're on TV and they both cover the NBA is because of what they did in college. That's what you get out of this tournament. And anybody who disputes it, they're they're just lying to themselves because they're angry because the the man always makes money. Like yes, colleges always make money off their students. That that has happened before. It will happen into perpetuity. But players absolutely gain a benefit from it. Tonight's games. All right, I'm going to get yes. you quickly on this. There are yeah. four games yep. going on tonight. I want you to tell me. Like a lot of people are busy. Clemson, Kansas, West Virginia, Villanova, Syracuse, Duke, Texas Tech, Purdue. What's yeah. the can't miss game? Oh, well, I mean, Syracuse do get me in there. It's just a hard watch of Syracuse because they can't score. Right. Um, but that's probably the m- most – but it, I don't think it'll be a great watch, but uh, that's going to be an interesting one just because Duke already beat them by 16, but the way in which Syracuse is playing where, you know, they're playing every game in the 50s and 60s, it makes it so it's probably close. I think the best game is Purdue playing without – likely without their big guy, Isaac Haas, against against Texas Tech or – Villanova, West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is going to try and heat them up, press them, be physical with them. And Villanova, you know, they, they can shoot a ton of, well, they shoot a ton of threes breaking through that pressure. That's probably the best all around game. Uh, but I think the most competitive is, is the Purdue game. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, you got the Kansas game, which is, is nice. Kansas the most good. overlooked Kansas has ever been. And I mean, they're a number one seed. I feel like and you, they're, me, but they're like the least talented Kansas team he's ever had. Right, but I feel like this team potentially beats Clemson. We'll see what happens because Clemson has played very well the first two games. Yeah, but if they beat Clemson, they're into the Elite Eight playing against who would it be? Uh, the 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 Duke, right? I mean, that would be a yeah, huge game. Yeah. But I feel like nobody's Kansas, giving Kansas, them any chance Kansas, at all. Kansas Duke in the Elite Eight. Meanwhile, in the other Elite Eight, you got Loyola, Kansas State. Like, oh my God, that's talking about the bipolar nature of this tournament. Um, yes, I think it is. I think it's fair. We they, we are very dismissive of Kansas. This Kansas team. But that's because we haven't adjusted to this year in college basketball, right? We just haven't adjusted to the fact that, you know, we, we lost 
you know, five to ten of the best young players in college basketball because of the FBI stuff and some other stuff, you know, um, and that the talent is so spread out. And, uh, and, and you know, too many players players have gone pro, so it's not just – I mean, North Carolina's best player was a walk-on. You know, that's the kind of year we have here. So, yes, we haven't adjusted our – to. this is Bill Self's best coaching job. It's not a terribly talented Kansas team. They shoot a ton of threes. They're actually they, when they run out there because they're so small. They actually look like the under. They look more like Loyola of Chicago than they do uh, like Kansas. But they keep winning games, and they'll probably win tonight too. Knock it out today on Cowherd. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Doug Gottlieb. Follow him at Gottlieb Show. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.